This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we've got a guest co-host. My Uncle Bill Post is here with us. And we're going to take your etiquette questions on contributing to community dinners, group house guest gifts, handling email introductions, and retirement gifts. All that plus your feedback, two short and sweet etiquette salutes, and a fabulous postscript segment from the 1922 edition of Emily Post Etiquette on being a good guest. Spoiler alert, that comes with mosquito bites. And all that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Bill Post, sitting in for Dan Post-Senning. I'm so very glad you're here, Uncle I'm Bill. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you for coming back. Our audience loved you last time, and I'm sure we will have an awesome show today. Well, that's nice of you to say, but I'm delighted to be sitting in. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, we've actually had some big weeks here at Emily Post. Last week, we launched the 19th edition of Emily Post Etiquette. Absolutely. Big deal. <laughs> I love it when the new editions come out. There's a lot of excitement in the whole company. I know. It's always a great time of reflection, and you hear kind of all the reviews of what people think and want Emily Post to be in their lives, and then you also have you know, what we've actually put out that we're excited about that's new and different. But it also always makes me want to go back to the 1922 edition. And it always makes me think about Emily and how she responds to everything and put it all out there in her day and age. And, and I love the fact that, though, while the book has changed enormously, the, the, the precepts upon which it is based haven't changed. Right. And I love the fact that we can go back, as we're going to later on in this show, and look at how... Emily wrote about a particular topic, in this case being a good guest, and understand that the advice is it, – it's not written the same way anymore, but it's the same kind of advice that you would give. No, absolutely. Her her advice had a lot more storytelling to it, a lot more drama. We've removed a lot <laughs> it, of the drama it, it, out exactly, of the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was a wonderful writer. <laughs> no, she truly yeah. was. She was an inventive and a fun writer. I think she really made – Etiquette uh, tales, a story to tell, as yeah, opposed to to just the advice to give. And you're going down to New York, I understand. I am. I am leaving tomorrow, and it's actually a very exciting trip because, as our audience has heard us mention many times, but I have not told you, uh, one of our listeners is actually a fellow etiquette author, uh, contemporary etiquette uh-huh. author, Kelly Williams Brown. Yeah, She's written yeah. about kind of young twenties living, as well as now how to be gracious as you're kind of coming into being a full adult, and. I'm so excited because she wanted to interview Dan and me for her second book. And in doing so, I spent about an hour with her on the phone the very first time we talked. We became Insta-best friends, and we're actually going to meet in person for the first time. That's great. 
And we get I'm, to get interviewed I'm, by the New York Times while we do it. It's so cool. I'm like over the moon excited about I can about see this. why you're excited about that. That'll be fun. <laughs> so it'll be really fun next week when I get to come back and talk about that yeah. trip. <laughs> yeah. I'll, be, I'll be anxious to hear about it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, in the meantime, do you think that we should probably do our jobs here and get to some listener questions? I certainly do. Let's get going. Good. Awesome Etiquette is all about answering your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show. So, Uncle Billy, start us off with our first question. The first question um, relates to community dinner contributions. The writer says, I am a longtime listener and continuously thankful for your guidance in the wonderful world of etiquette. I find myself in a tricky situation. First, some background. My friend has, for the past several years, hosted Passover seders for his Jewish and non-Jewish friends. I am not Jewish and have appreciated the chance to share his culture and contribute to the abundance of food and wine at these dinners. This year, he sent me a link to a community seder, which is happening on April 14th, and asked if I wanted to go with him. I said, sure, and we decided that I would email an RSVP for both of us. The link included instructions on what kind of dish to bring based on the first letter of your last name. So this is where it gets tricky. Yesterday, my friend told me that he plans on just bringing a few boxes of leftover matzah to the dinner instead of the dish and bottle of wine indicated by his last name. It was hard for me to hide how appalled I was. He did mention possibly making a dish later, but I'm not hopeful. My question is, am I responsible for the etiquette of my friend since I RSVP'd for him? I am contemplating buying a can of kosher macaroons and some manischewitz to hand him when we meet up at the carpool. Alternatively, since that contribution is less than $10, I am also seriously considering telling him to go buy it or I will be embarrassed for us both. I think he is a good enough friend that I can be blunt with him like that. Am I overthinking this? Is the best path forward to just bring my own dish and be the best guess I can be and not worry about my friend's etiquette? I am not sure whether he knows the organization hosting the event or not. I plan to ask him, since that could possibly change my decision on what to do. Any guidance would be so appreciated. Even if it's past the event, I would love to know the proper thing to do in the future. With love and gratitude, Natalie. Lizzie, take it away. I think Natalie is definitely in a bit of a pickle. Um, There's a lot of layers here. I mean, there certainly are. This is someone else's uh, community that you're celebrating, their their culture that you're celebrating, first of all. So you're kind of the outsider coming in, always wanting to do good. Um, You somehow were responsible for the RSVP, which I find very interesting. Yeah, that part didn't make sense to me. I I don't know quite how that happened. I think her friend should have RSVP'd for the two of them. But modern day communications, things happen. Um, But now it's like your friend who we don't know if he knows this community or not may or may not show up with the right thing. And you're kind of going, so how does that reflect on me? What do I And probably won't from the looks of the question. Yeah, it doesn't sound like I I like the idea. I'm not hopeful. I like that line. Um, But what I love that Natalie's doing in this question is that you can hear her thinking aloud. You know, I'm probably going to ask him how close he is to this community. I'm probably going to, you know, I have backup plans ready to go. And I like this forethought that she's giving. Yeah, she, she appears to be very thoughtful about it. Yeah. Now, I could see, if you think about some like ways that different people might take this situation, I could see one person saying, hey, this isn't your community that you engage with regularly. This is Natalie, I'm thinking of. Right. And that it's one night with likely a bunch of strangers. Just don't sweat it. If you bring a dish and bottle of wine, you're covered and either... 
He can look lame with his box of half-eaten matzah, or he can join you, and the two of you can bring the dish and wine under your name, right? Because that's like how all this exactly. is set up. And, and, and of course, she's never going to see these people again, or probably isn't. And so, you know, what difference does it make? But you know what? Yeah, make it easy. I think, I think Natalie um, cares a little bit more about doing it right, and not really so much because she's worried what people will think, but because she wants to do it properly. I that's think what so, I think. too. Yeah. I think so, too. And I think that other voice is the one that's speaking to her that says, you're visiting a community you have no standing in because you're not normally a participant here. So you want to really mind your P's and Q's, be on your best behavior, bring your best guest self to this. And Exactly. And I think she wants to do that, I think she will do it. I think so too. So, Natalie, my advice going forward would be ask your friend how well he knows this community. Find that out because I do think that helps you make a decision about how you're going to proceed. So, let him know that you would like to present your best to this community that you're new to. You know, like, hey, Josh, I, I'm new to this community and, and you might uh, be able to get away with bringing matzo, but I don't but, quite feel... But I can't. But right. I can't. Yeah. So I'm going to bring my dish. If you want me to, I'm happy to cover cover you as well, or we can go in on, on my stuff together. It kind of just invites him to make a decision about it so that you know what he's going to do and you can plan accordingly on your own. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the right advice, particularly since she has said that this is a good friend. And I don't think yeah. that it's likely to upset him to, for her to bring it up. So she should. No. And if he got really out of sorts about it, no, don't cover me, don't take care of me, like duh, anything like that, I think you're fine to then just bring your dish and your wine associated with your last name and, and represent yourself well. I don't think you're responsible in this case for the reservation of the other person, right? Exactly. And and um, if he tells you that he's simply not going to bring something, he's just going to bring the matzahs, well, then bring what you planned on bringing, make it nice the way that the invitation suggested. And as you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So that's the way to handle it, in our opinion. Very well put. Natalie, we hope you had a wonderful time at this Seder dinner. We know it's it's past at this point, but we hope that uh, this gives you a little bit of insight for the future. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y. 
W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners, it's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Absolutely. And now the next question has to do with host gifts for the whole house. Lizzie, why don't you tell us what the question is? (laughs) This question starts, hi, Lizzie and Dan, but hi, Lizzie and Uncle Bill. (laughs) I just recently started listening to your podcast and love it. Even though I'm in my early 20s, I was raised in a family very focused on etiquette. So I relate with a lot of what you talk about. That's so great. I have a question related to hostess gifts. This summer, I'll be visiting a friend from college who still lives at home with her parents. Her parents will be hosting our entire close friend group, seven guests total. Even though we're technically adults, who do I bring a hostess gift for? Do I bring one for just my friend, just her parents, or both? If giving a gift to her parents, is it acceptable to do a group hostess gift with the seven of us guests? Thank you, Gina. P.S. I loved listening to Dan's comments on personalized stationery in your April 3rd episode. I have used my own personalized stationery for years when writing thank you notes and all kinds of other letters. I receive compliments on them frequently and would recommend spending a little extra on that added special touch. That's nice. I like I like people who kind of pay attention in those little areas. It's fun. Thanks, Lizzie. Uh, first of all, I'd like to address the P.S. because um, I actually am a big fan of thank you notes written on your own personalized stationery for a party or for a wedding or whatever. I think that um, that's something that's going out of style, and I'd like to be part of the cause that tries to bring it back in style. <laughs> I love it. We will, we will make buttons and stickers. I um, No, I'm with you. I think it's wonderful, and it's nice to hear of someone in their early 20s saying that this is something that they, they value. I think that that's really nice. Uh, a lot of people think tradition and etiquette is dead. In the world, it certainly is not lost on this generation. I agree. So what do you think about Gina's dilemma? You know, her friend is the real host, but the parents, it's really their house. I mean, do you buy separate gifts for them each? Do you do it together? Do you do from the whole group? She's got a couple questions here. Right. My view is that um, you do a single house gift for the house, for all three of them. You don't do a separate gift for each of the the friend and the mother and the father. Mm -hmm. And uh, one nice house gift would say what you wanted to say and I think would be the right way to proceed. Um, what do you think are some good hostess gifts like for this? This is like a weekend. You know, they're going to stay. How long did they say they were staying for? Well, just a just a long weekend. But I, uh, it doesn't have to be hugely expensive. I like a gift basket of food from a company, you know, that that does those kinds of things. Oh, like Harry like, and David. Like Harry and David. Okay, yeah. yeah. Bringing, you know, a couple of nice bottles of wine or if you know that the parents and the their daughter like to drink something other than wine, beer or even even a nice bottle of bourbon or whatever is like a, a nice, good liquor that exactly, they like, is yeah. a nice gift. Yeah. Um a nice substantial house plant is a good gift. Bouquets of flowers are a good gift. Oh, yeah. Well, well there's one that you and I both – we were talking about this before the show. You and I both have an affinity for giving um, little Simon Pierce bowls and, yeah. and vases and such. I think they make nice – it's like an elegant gift, but it's still small. It's not – or it doesn't have to be. I guess you could do a big one. <laughs> exactly. Well, that leads into the – and I agree with you about that. Yeah. One of my favorite gifts is just a bowl for the center of a table, whether yeah. it's a wedding gift or a gift for a house party like this. But that leads to the second part of the question, which is do all seven of us get together and give a gift or do we each give one individually? And my view on that is that all seven of you, if you can get all seven of you together to agree to do this, 
And hopefully that's not like herding cats. And maybe they can just appoint one of you as the person to do it for them. But you can do a, a nicer gift because it's obviously seven people contributing rather than one. And I think you had mentioned this earlier, Lizzie, when we were talking about it, it's a little bit silly to have each person walking in and sort of dropping a gift off uh, independently. <laughs> it just doesn't seem right to me. Like presents for the emperor it, almost exa- or exactly. something I, like that. Procession it, of gifts for it, the it, weekend ahead. <laughs> exactly. So in sum, yeah. by all means, uh, we think the gift should be a gift for one gift for all three of them. And if you can get all seven of the guests to contribute, we think that's the way to do it. Absolutely. And Gina, there's a couple ways you can get folks to contribute. One is to just kind of pick a, a very low number, like $10 a person, so that for the seven, you're getting a nice $70 gift. I think that's certainly acceptable. It's really not the cost of the gift that matters. It's the intention behind it. So always bear that in mind. But when organizing a group gift, you really want to try to make sure no one feels like they're all of a sudden being pushed out of their comfort zone for price ranges. Very good point. And one way you can do that is to, as the organizer, you can ask people to privately send you what their price range is, or you can ask people to simply donate what they can. And then you're the only person who knows who sent what. The other people don't know who sent what. And, you know, you can say, okay, so we wound up with $150 and we can get, you know, these are the the three gifts I would recommend we get. And you can kind of organize it that way, Gina, so that someone takes the lead. Or if there's another girl in the group who happens to be more inclined that way, by all means, lean on her for it. I think that's right, Lizzie. And you could do a whole etiquette pod on this particular subject because you see this question a lot. You do. Which is, I have to give it the office, but I don't know how some people can give more than I can. I really like the ways you said to handle that. It's a delicate one, and you want to be careful and respectful of your friend's boundaries. But certainly something that that you can work through. Uh, Gina, we hope that you have a wonderful visit this summer and that as you and the group start making your plans, um, the hostess group gift can be a part of those plans. And I think your hosts are going to be really really pleasantly surprised. Well said. Our next question, Uncle Bill, is about email introductions. Do you want to take this one away? I will. I'll uh, let you know what the question is here. Hi. In reference to emails, a friend is recommending me to another friend for possible work. He has written to us both via email introducing us. He speaks very highly of me. The question is, should I reply to this email, which is addressed to both his friend and to me, and thank him? Address the glowing review of me and tell him I'm looking forward to meeting his distinguished friend? Or should I send him a separate email so that the friend he has referred me to does not see it? Thank you very much. Anita. What are your thoughts, Lizzie? This question stumps a lot of people. What do you do? You've got two separate people you're addressing in an email. We're often in email. It's just one-on-one. Or even if other people are CC'd, you're just addressing the one person who sent it. Right. Um, right. I think that For me, I recommend acknowledging all that's going on. I think it would be awkward to, unless someone has been indicated that, um, like we were talking about actually on a previous episode, unless someone has indicated that they are simply going to be um, kind of like a listening ears or eyes on this email thread and and should, you know, just not be addressed, then that happens too. But this isn't that circumstance. This is an introduction. So you've got all three people in the same place. And I think it's important to recognize 
recognize everyone. So my response would be to send a reply email to both. Acknowledge your friend's comments and thank him or her for the introduction. Greet the new person you're being introduced to and let him or her know that you will start a new email thread with them so that the mutual contact isn't um, inundated with emails, you know, beyond this introduction. You know, you kind of thank them, but let them know you're moving on. So an example of this might be, Dear Greg and Catherine, Greg, thank you so much for your kind words and for introducing me to Catherine. Catherine, it is a pleasure to meet you. I hope we will be able to work together. I'm going to start a new email thread for us so that Greg can be relieved from receiving our back and forth as we set up a meeting. And then and then you set up the next email to Catherine. You got it. You've been in business much well, longer than I have. What do you think? Well, the next email might read something like, Dear Catherine, I'd love the opportunity to talk about the work I might be able to do for you. Please let me know if you'd like to schedule a time to connect. And my best, Anita. It's interesting, though. When I first read this question, yeah. I misread it. And I thought that the person who was referring Anita had sent an email to Anita and also an email to the person who was going to hire or maybe hire Anita. Two separate a, emails. Two separate emails rather than one in which both were copied. And I thought the answer then that should should be a separate email to Anita and a separate email to to the hiring person. But I think Lizzie is exactly right. In the case where the, the first email came to both of them, it's protocol to keep those people involved until there's a, an appropriate reason to break off and have a separate conversation with one of the people where it was originally set up. And I think that about does it for the answer, right? There's not much more to say. I think so, too. I mean, okay. that's, yes, you're right. That's pretty much it right okay. there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> In and out. That's a pretty easy one. Anita, we hope that that helps and that as email communications moving forward, you can feel really confident in sending that reply to both people when you've got all three on that email chain. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next. Our next question, I'm going to ask you this one because you you might have a little more experience with this than I do. (laughs) Oh, I hope that's not insulting and ageist. I'm so sorry. It's definitely ageist, but it's not insulting. Gosh, oh no. (laughs) I just made such a big etiquette faux pas on our etiquette podcast. Okay. So this next question is titled, Do Retirements Require Gifts? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Love the podcast. Look forward to it weekly. Smiley face. My question. I've been invited to two retirement parties for two senior executives who've been with my company for over 20 years each. One party is a company-wide function after work in one of the office conference rooms, and the other is a more intimate gathering at a private home, both for the same two individuals. Am I expected to bring gifts to both? Different gifts for each? What kind of gift would be appropriate? I have worked with both these people over the years and respect them greatly, but my budget is limited. Thanks so much for your help, Jen. What do you think? Well, the first thing I think is that it's a definitely good question to ask because this kind of thing (laughs) comes up all the time. The answer, I think, is also fairly straightforward. First of all, gifts aren't supposed to break your budget no matter what the occasion, so you have to keep it within what you can afford. Secondly, 
In general, you would not bring a gift to the party that is held in the office. The office is doing that. The office is taking care of it. The office has probably given them a kind of a gift separately from the office, and it's not up to the individuals to also add a gift. On the other hand, I think it would be very appropriate for you to take a gift to the party at a the personal sort of a farewell party at a person's home. And again, the gift should be within what you can afford and it should be appropriate to the occasion. Right. Don't, don't you think, yeah, Rosie? we're yeah. in the range of like um, – and this these gifts all sound silly when you say them, but they actually are very appropriate work gifts. A beautiful paperweight or a lovely pen or if you know that there's something they enjoy and will be spending their retirement doing, you know, a lot exactly. of golf or very something like that. Exactly you know, like right. that kind very of thing, special yep. interests. But those gifts are really only – usually retirement gifts are only given from very close personal colleagues or family members. It's not often that a colleague could just simply kind of worked in the same building and might have done some good work over the years. They don't typically bring a gift to the at-home party. Um, but they would bring a card. That's one that's that's really right. encouraged. And actually, there's an adjunct to that. And yeah, you're, you're, please. You reminded me about that. It would be reasonable to ask – if I do bring a gift to the retirement party at the house of the host, right. do I need to give a, a gift to each of the people if I know one of them well and not the other so well? In Jen's case, she said she knew them both well right. and respected them, and two, two gifts might be appropriate. Maybe the same thing for each of them. But it's not necessary to bring a gift to both people if one of them is just a mere acquaintance and not really a like friend. someone you really don't know. It, I could see But this it would happening. be nice to bring a card, as you suggested. Right. Yeah. Just to acknowledge, I'm at a party that you are the honoree of. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. This happens a lot with graduation parties. Often groups of friends will throw graduation parties for multiple graduates. And you might not know, you know, if you're it's, my exactly. uncle, you might not know my best friend or, right. or, you know, the other person in our group who we're throwing that party for. A card is so nice. A gift is appropriate for the person that you know. This is not the situation Jen is in. Jen's in a situation where she happens to know both people very well. Right. A card is going to be perfectly appropriate in this situation, Jen. You don't have to worry about a gift unless you feel you're close enough to these two uh, colleagues that a gift would feel a, a great way to honor what you feel you've gained from them and the experience of working with them. Right. So in the final analysis, short answer, no gift to the party at the office, a gift to the party at the house if you think it's appropriate, or maybe just a card, depending on how close you are with the folks. Uncle Bill, thank you so much for helping me answer our listener questions today. It was fun. I love reading the questions, and I like thinking and talking about the answers with you. I love it. Remember those simple rules of office etiquette, and you'll get along in the business world. Thank you for your questions, and please send us your updates and your comments. Were you in a situation like this? How did you handle it? You can send them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions that we answer and the topics that we cover. So it is time for some feedback. And we're going to start with a lovely note from Shrina, who lives in the UK and had this to say about episode 134 on RSVPs. The RSVP from this question was requesting a handwritten note in reply. And uh, the one thing we want to note just about this uh, feedback is that the question was actually about replying 
replying to an afternoon tea invitation. And Shrina's comment is going to talk about replying to a wedding invitation. And Shrina writes, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Love the podcast. I just wanted to give you some feedback on the last episode and the written RSVP. It was really strange to me to hear this being talked about as really archaic. I'm in the UK, and the norm for my circle, of course, this is likely to vary regionally across the UK, is exactly this for wedding invitations. The invitations just say RSVP, and then the couple or their parents' postal address. Then you, as the guest, get out some writing paper or a card if you prefer, and write a short note. My standard is, thank you so much for the invitation. X and I would be delighted to attend. Really looking forward to it. I have literally never received an RSVP card in a British wedding invitation. Uh, For your information, I'm in my mid-30s, so A, not elderly, and B, lots of my friends have gotten married in the last few years. The first time I got one was an invitation to an American wedding, and to be honest, I felt a fleeting... Do they not think I have writing paper and access to a post box? Feeling which I set aside when my American husband explained to me that this is the norm for American weddings. Hopefully you find this interesting, Shrina. Well, first of all, this puts an exclamation point on the point we made earlier about writing handwritten notes. Right. This is not a thank you note, obviously. It's a response to an invitation. It's very interesting to me that in the UK they still have the custom of writing a a, a handwritten personalized thank you note. And I remember when I was a a child having to write responses to invitations like this, and Mm -hmm. they were very formal. It would be literally you'd write on a card, Mr. William Post kindly accepts the gracious invitation of Mr. and Mrs. John Smith to the wedding of their daughter. So elegant. We don't do that anymore. We don't really do that at all. but, But a handwritten note that says, you know, thanks very much for the invitation to the wedding. I'll be happy to attend. Uh, thank you for thinking of me, or something like something that. Something like that. But yeah. but the point is that that's really not the custom in the in the U.S. Not anymore. And it's perfectly acceptable to just return the RSVP card. And, yeah. The card. The, excuse me. The RSVP card, of course. Yeah. And not write a handwritten note on it. Just right. check the yes or the no. And sometimes those cards will have on them a choice of what you want for dinner, whether it's fish, meat, or vegetarian. And you check that box, you put it in the mail, and and you're done. That's perfectly acceptable. And that's all for weddings. And the original question, this was for um, an invitation to an afternoon tea. And I think the hostess was just doing a, let's let's make this a little more formal. You know, let's go through the paces of a, of a formal invitation and a handwritten reply. I thought it was a lovely idea. I do too. I'm, I thought I'm it was in really favor great. of handwritten notes, as I've, as I've made yeah. clear throughout the, sh- uh, throughout <laughs> know, the show. Where were you when we did the stationary right. postscript? That would have been really great. Um, I, I love it, though. I love that this is a practice still uh, really alive in the UK and, and other parts of the world. Uncle Billy, did you know that it was your mother who changed this rule very begrudgingly? And I don't I'm sure know, whatever it was, it was, was begrudgingly. begrudgingly. Yes, it was not that Mud was a cranky person. Not but in the slightest. Not but in she the had slightest. her she had her ideas, and they were her ideas, and it was unlikely that she was going to change them. Yes, uh, other than she, begrudgingly, she did this. change this one. It was one of those ones where they said it made it easier on the host, and this was for a big wedding where you're yeah. organizing a lot of people, and really cost is quite an issue. So it makes sense. But I love the idea. That, that we don't send reply cards for afternoon teas or dinner parties or children's birthday parties. I think it's kind of nice to think that there are still places to maybe go that formal route for that, that handwritten reply. Absolutely. Shrina, thank you so much for sending that in to us. 
Uncle Bill, what's our next piece of feedback that well, we received? Well, we have this sweet reflection from Jennifer on episode 132 where we took a question about the old chivalrous act of escorting a lady and which side of her you should walk on. The question was asking about how to handle it when you end up on the wrong side. Here's what Jennifer says. F, this is from episode 132. Okay. I just discovered your awesome etiquette podcast. I love this subject and wish that more people had been taught the social graces that include etiquette. I am writing about this episode because it concerns the man walking on the lady's left side. My father was an old-fashioned man who always placed himself on the street side of the sidewalk as we walked with my hand tucked into the crook of his arm. At 92 years old, when he had gotten weak and slightly feeble, I had taken him out for lunch and we had to walk a short distance to the restaurant. In that short time span, my father opened my car door, took my hand to assist me out, opened every door along the way, held the door for others— walked on the street side, gave me his arm, pulled out my chair, allowed me to order first, picked up the tab, and all the while maintained impeccable table manners. It was such a refreshing show of manners and courtesy. I haven't even realized how I had been missing it. This is how a gentleman behaves with a lady. How refreshing and heartwarming it was to see that my father's good manners hadn't faded with age, like so many of his other faculties. That day... He switched sides to place himself on the street side of me and explained that the reason the men used to do this was to protect a woman from splashes from the street that might ruin her stockings and shoes. The man had on long pants that served as protection for his legs. Keep up the good work. Now, how can I tactfully get my boyfriend, who was raised without social graces, to start listening? Jennifer. Lizzie, oh, what do you have to say about I that? I think that, well, first, just in direct comment, just play play the podcast while he sleeps. See if it gets <laughs> in, you know, like subconsciously. I might like, just play Awesome Etiquette archives while he sleeps. You know, I, the, the, yeah, absolutely. And hopefully there, there, there will be a way to get to him. You know, the, the way this elderly gentleman behaved when he was out with his daughter is yeah. so endearing. And it is the way men did used to behave with women all the time. Obviously, things have changed. Women don't wear white gloves when they go out on the street anymore. Men don't always pick up the tab. Lots of things that have changed and probably some of it for the better. But this was just so refreshing, as Jennifer pointed out. And I, for instance, I'm constitutionally incapable of walking through a door ahead of a woman when we're walking together. It just, just I, it's just, it, it'd be like cutting off my left hand. It's ingrained it's, in you absolutely. that you should step forward and open that door. And, for and her. this wasn't ingrained in Jennifer's boyfriend, and he may never get to that point. Right. But, but, <laughs> but it was ingrained in her father. <laughs> yes, it, it, exactly. Um, I did have one sort of comment to make. <laughs> no, this was funny. Or, or, I love this. Please share this. I've heard I, this I have heard all, and Lizzie has as well, have heard for many years that the reason that a man traditionally walks on the street side of a woman when they are walking together is that in Elizabethan times in England, houses were built in such a way that the second story overhung the sidewalk, protruding out beyond where the wall from the first story was. And the bedrooms, of course, were in the second story. And in those days, there was no plumbing. And so chamber pots just got dumped out out of the, out of the window. And if the man was walking on the street side, he was more likely to be the one who got splattered with the dregs <laughs> than the woman who was protected by the overhanging uh, uh, floor. Um, whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it is what I've always heard. And I, whatever the reason, it is the social custom 
for a man to walk on the outside of the sidewalk when walking with a woman. Yeah, I always feel like no matter what era that the advice is coming from, somehow the guy's clothing, he was always supposed to take the hit. Absolutely. (laughs) And that just cracks me up that even in this example of the stockings and the shoes, it said, well, what about his nice pants? Exactly. I thought the same thing. Didn't matter. Didn't matter, right. It doesn't matter. It's like, okay, I guess men could, boys can be dirty and and girls should be kept clean. And and one other thing about the story. Old stereotypes, old stereotypes, you know. But one other thing about the story is it reminds me very much of my father, of course, who you knew well. He was one of the most gracious people in the world and he, he too would never walk through a door ahead of a woman or not on the outside of the street or... Or pick up the check, for that matter. So even in it's his, a heartwarming story for us. His his latest days when he was up here with us in Vermont for the last month or so, I can even remember my grandfather, uh, you know, in bed, you know, real last stages of life, still still maintaining his courtesies and saying things like, "It's been so lovely for you to let me stay here, but really, really, I'm imposing too much." And you're just exactly. like, "Oh my gosh, it's so ingrained." Yeah, Jennifer, we are so glad that you had that experience with your father and that he was. Was that type of gentleman in your life. Couldn't agree more, Liz. So thanks so much for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. We love to see them. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. And now it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive a little deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript segment is going to be, as Uncle Billy had said, a selection from the very first book of etiquette, or at least the first Emily Post book of etiquette from our 1922 edition. And it is on house guests, and I believe it comes from page 125. We did, we did use a Kindle version to grab this excerpt, so I want to make sure it's the same, but I believe it's from page 125. Uncle Bill, please. So here's what Emily Post wrote about being a good guest. She said, Courtesy demands that you, when you are a guest, shall show neither annoyance nor disappointment, no matter what happens. Before you can hope to become even a passable guest, let alone a perfect one, you must learn, as it were, not to notice if hot soup is poured down your back. (laughs) If you neither understand nor care for dogs or children, and both insist on climbing all over you, you must seemingly like it. Just as you must be amiable and polite to your fellow guests, even though they be, of all the people on earth, the most detestable to you. You must, with the very best dissimulation at your command, appear to find the food delicious, though they offer you all of the viands that are especially distasteful to your palate or antagonistic to your digestion. You must disguise your hatred of red ants and scrambled food if everyone else is bent on a picnic. You must pretend that six is a perfect dinner hour, though you never dine before eight. Or, on the contrary, you must wait until 8.30 or 9 with stoical fortitude, though your dinner hour is 6, and by 7 your chest seems securely pinned to your spine. (laughs) If you go for a drive, and it pours, and there is no top to the carriage or car, and you are soaked to the skin, and chilled to the marrow so that your teeth chatter, your lips must smile, and you must appear to enjoy the refreshing coolness." If you go to stay in a small house in the country, and they give you a bed full of lumps, in a room of mosquitoes and flies, in a chamber over that of a crying baby, under the eaves with a temperature of over a hundred, you can the next morning walk to the village and send yourself a telegram and leave. But though you feel starved, exhausted, wilted, and are mosquito-bitten until you resemble a well-developed case of chickenpox or measles, by not so much as a facial muscle must you let the family know that your comfort lacked anything that your happiest imagination could picture. 
nor must you confide in anyone afterwards, having broken bread in the house, how desperately wretched you were. I love this. <laughs> I love the writing. It reminds me of my all-time favorite writer, P.G. Wodehouse. Oh, yeah? Absolutely. And if you've never read any P.G. Wodehouse, I haven't. I'm going go to. Go <laughs> to the library and read the chief stories. This is wonderful writing, in my opinion, plus very good advice. I think that's hysterical. Well, what cracks me up is that, you know, so we're launching the 19th edition right now, which means, of course, reviews are coming out and people always love to say how we never quite get it right, right? That's no matter what, you're always going to have critics. And I just love the idea of, my goodness, how far has our advice come? No longer do we say you must be starved with your stomach pinned to your spine and mosquito bitten until you resemble a well-developed case of chickenpox or measles. I mean, just you can picture it all. And we really are much easier on guests these days. We we certainly are. I think actually this also points to the success of the wonderful show Downton Abbey. Oh, yes. It's the same kind of of thinking and talking and so forth that people did back in those days. I just love this writing. Oh, it was it was absolutely fabulous. And my my mother, Trisha Post, who actually sourced this one t- this week, said to me that her favorite part is that you will walk into town after such a night and send yourself a telegram insisting that you leave. So the idea is you actually, the emergency date phone call that we're all so used it, to exactly. now was just With a an telegram. emergency <laughs> telegram back in the day. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I loved it. I loved it so so much. Emily, goodness, thank you for being such a character with your wit. That is hysterical. I am very glad to say that at this point, we would probably say, by all means, say that you might go and uh, have an evening at the inn instead to experience local culture. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm still I'm still chuckling about this since I read it the other day for the first time. Oh, goodness. The 1922 edition sure has some real gems, and this is one of my favorites. Me too. Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. We have two short and sweet etiquette salutes today, and the first one comes from Keisha, who had a pleasant experience with a thank you note, and it goes to show for some they do make a difference worth noting. This is a short one, but a salute all the same. Dear Lizzie and Dan, upon winning an item from a hair clip consultant, I also placed a purchase and the consultant shipped it to me with the item that I won. The consultant included a thank you note thanking me for not only my purchase, but for being supportive of her product giveaway events on Facebook. I thought the note was quite sweet and unexpected. Thank you, Keisha. And there we have the theme coming through right to the end in the salute of using thank you notes. Using all the way through the show. We never get away from them. Nope. (laughs) A second salute comes from Christine, who had a lovely exchange in a parking lot that she'd like to salute. Hello, she says. I just had the nicest gesture happen in one of everyone's least favorite places, the parking lot. As someone was pulling out, I pulled up to grab the spot. Sitting for a moment to get myself organized, I heard a knock on my window. Terrified that the person who just left wasn't actually leaving and I had done something rude, I reluctantly opened the door. He handed me an unfinished parking slip and told me it still had time on it if I wanted to use it. It was so considerate of him to get out of his car, pause his day, and come offer a parking pass to a stranger. It has inspired me to do something kind today, as well as a thank you to him. Thank you, Christine. Does it, does, that's like, that's one of those salutes where when I hear it, I then say, 
I'm going to remember to do that when I'm in a parking lot and I've fed the meter and I get my ticket, you know, that you right. put like in your in your window. You I know, just thought that was smart. There's an ad that was on TV a couple of years ago, and I can't remember what the product was for. Sure. But it was a pay it forward thing. It showed yeah. some person doing something nice, and the next person then did something nice for somebody else, and on and on and on. And it ended up being a plug for the product. But it was a wonderful example of just this. One good deed does in turn produce another one. And that is how etiquette makes the world a nicer place. <laughs> I love it. Christine, thank you so much for sending that in. Thank you, everyone, who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. And our show is edited by Chris Albertine and our Awesome Etiquette intern is Michaela Vernock. May I? Please? Thank you. These are words of respect. Words that make day-to-day living go smoothly. 